Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. We're going to jump right into it. I, I do have to say this. I loved that Lauren and Carrington and the team kind of went longer in worship today. So God help me. I'm going to try and go shorter. I'm going to edit my notes. But I don't apologize for them doing that. That was right because there's something. We're, we're even going to read a text where God did something so miraculous and amazing simply because people were willing to, to wait, to wait on God like we, we were doing. And I get the privilege of preaching about the Holy Spirit today. And before we pray to bless uh, this message, I just want to remind you that when we are a church for a city that honors the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that's why I love that we extended that time singing that song about the Holy Spirit. When we are a church that honors the Holy Spirit, the possibilities are endless for what God can do here. The Holy Spirit is the gift we were given by God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. In other words, here's why we honor the Holy Spirit, if for no other reason, is simply this, to get the gift of the Spirit dwelling on the inside of us, which we have in Christ Jesus, it cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life to send us his Spirit to this earth. And so when we start to honor the Holy Spirit, we are honoring the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that compels the heart of God to move on behalf of his people, to hear the cries of his people. And I know we all come in here with different cries. So let me just remind you what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, now lives in you. Isn't that awesome news? It means the possibilities are endless. Jesus called the Holy Spirit your counselor. He called him your comforter. He called him your encourager. He called him the convictor of the world for sin, which is a gracious thing. He called the Holy Spirit the one who guides us into all truth. He says that when the Spirit of God fills you, you will have streams of living water flowing out of you. I love this about the Holy Spirit. He's also known as the advocate. You have, you have the spirit of Yahweh, of God, literally right now in Christ Jesus. You have him on the inside of you advocating for you all of the time. I think sometimes if you're like me, I forget that. Like I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, even your spouse and your closest friends do not have the best interest in mind for you to the degree the Holy Spirit does. Even the people that want the best for you on earth and love you most do not have the ability to advocate for you with the passion and intensity that the Spirit of God has for you. So as we preach about the movement and the beginning of the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, man, I pray that our hearts are expectant. I pray that you sit up and listen a little extra today because I believe God has a word for us. So Jesus, in these next few minutes, would you bless this time, Holy Spirit, would you anoint my words? God, I have, I'm human, Lord, but for some reason you let humans preach your gospel. And I'm just asking that Holy Spirit, you would flow through me. I pray what King David would pray, that you would anoint my head with oil and that as I talk, my cup would overflow. God, I ask this and pray this in the awesome name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. So there's a quote by a pastor who was a much better preacher than me. His name's Rick Kershoff, and he was preaching on Acts chapter 2. And at some point when he was fired up, he started preaching this. And so I just wrote it down, and I said, rather than try and be a poor version of him, I'll just quote what he said, because this I absolutely love. He says to the church, and I say to Forest City, when God sends forth the Spirit amazing things happen. We're going to see that in the next six months all throughout the book of Acts. He says where the spirit is, barriers are broken. Communities are formed. 
Opposites are reconciled. Unity is established. Disease is cured. Addiction is broken. Cities are renewed. Races are reconciled. Hope is established. People are blessed and church happens. He says this and I say this today. Today the spirit of God is present and we're going to have church. So be ready. Get ready. God is up to something for a city. Discourage folk. Cheer up where the spirit is. Dishonest folk fess up. I love that. Sour folk sweeten up. Here you go. You ready for this one? Gossipers shut up. Can I get an amen? amen? Conflicted folk make up. Sleeping folk wake up. Lukewarm folk fire up. Dry bones shake up. And new pota- I don't know what new potatoes are, but new potatoes stand up. And then I love how he ends it. Most importantly, but most of all, Christ, the Savior of the world, gets lifted up. This is what the Spirit does for the church. We're going to see it all throughout this series of acts when the spirit is alive and healthy and well and being honored, powerful things that supersede even our own expectations start to happen in the body of Christ. And today is just my little human remind. I'm going to do the best I can through the spirit of God to remind us of what's possible when we give room and make room and honor for the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason we're emphasizing the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is because we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, and this is when Jesus gave them the long-promised Holy Spirit. This is when the Spirit went from just sometimes being around the globe and sometimes uh, being extra powerful in temples. Now, all of a sudden, it was like, no, the Holy Spirit is now going to be not around you, but the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And instead of the Holy Spirit surrounding temples that people had to travel to, the Holy Spirit is going to fill you and send you out. And now you're going to be the temple. Now you are the temple of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. We call this Pentecost. And the reason why is because when Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, it happened to be during one of three of the great Jewish festivals. This was right after Passover, and this was called the Feast of Pentecost. For those of you that don't know, Pentecost comes, uh, that's our English way of saying the Greek word for it, which is Pentecoste, almost the same thing. You know what Pentecoste means? It means very practical. It means 50th. And the reason they called this great feast in Jerusalem Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, was because it was exactly 50 days over the Passover feast. And what's interesting to me, and I love that God never does anything arbitrarily. He always is doing things in such beautiful fashion. What I love is if you think about it, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried during what? Passover. And then the Bible tells us in the Gospels that after he rose from the dead, he was on earth. How long before he sent it to heaven? He was on earth 40 days, right? But then the last thing he says in Matthew 28 to a group of people when he's given them the Great Commission, one of the things he says is, I want this group of you Galileans, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I just want you to pray and I just want you to wait. To which they probably said, go and pray for what and wait for what and how long? And Jesus doesn't answer them. He says, just go to Jerusalem and pray and wait. And you know how long they were in the upper room praying and waiting for, the Bible tells us? 10 days. So after the resurrection, Jesus is on earth for 40 days, and then they pray and wait for 10 days. So how many days are we at now? 50th. And on Pentecost, this great Jewish feast, 
was for whatever reason when God chose to gift them with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting, I learned about Pentecost that this would have been the most, as uh, one historian put it, the most cosmopolitan of all three of the great feasts. In other words, there was more racial and ethnic diversity from all over the globe that traveled to Jerusalem for this feast more than the other great feast. And the reason why it was real practical again, it was the best weather of all the three feasts. It was going into late spring and into early summer. This was a feast originally where they brought their first fruits. It's also not called Pentecost. It's called the, 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 um, the feast of the harvest because they were coming to bring their first fruits of the wheat harvest to give to God before they used any of it for themselves or for their food. That's another sermon for another day. So this is Pentecost, and this is where we get introduced to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna start in verse one, and I'm gonna read eight verses right now. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, Trevor mentioned this earlier, they were what? All together in one place. That's not just a statement of logistics, that's also a statement of spirit. One mind. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, wind was always a metaphor, one of them for the Holy Spirit, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of, and here's another metaphor for the Holy Spirit, fire. They think, think of how crazy this would have been. Let's just have an honest moment. Put yourself in, in their place right now. Think if this happened in, in church for us all of a sudden, how crazy it would be. What seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now it says this, all of them, everybody say all of them, because the Holy Spirit doesn't pick favorites. The Holy Spirit is 100% impartial to any particular human being. The Holy Spirit is for what it said right there. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, listen, you instantly, because of his finished work, you qualify to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to take all of the beauty and the promises that come with the Holy Spirit. It says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's where it gets crazy. They started to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. Now, let me stop there and give you a a little more teaching on this. If you're newer to church, a lot of times we hear about speaking in tongues and we we start to get nervous because not all of you grew up in those kind of backgrounds. But let me be very clear. Uh, that's another sermon for another day because this is not the speaking of heavenly languages like the Apostle Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians 14 where he's teaching about spiritual gifts. This is not what is happening here. Paul would call that in 1 Corinthians 14 a heavenly language. He would call it the, the, the tongues of angels. In other words, it's an indiscernible language to human beings. That's why when he was teaching about that particular gift, he also said, because of that, it's indiscernible. I'll also give people the gift to be able to translate it, to give an interpretation as a kindness to the people, right? And so this isn't what's happening here. We're going to see as we keep reading what's happening here when the spirit fell on them with tongues of fire and everything that are happening, what they're actually doing is speaking in other people's languages. Remember when I said this was the most cosmopolitan of all of the feasts? This is God doing a miracle simply to match the moment because God is a perfect steward of everything. He's brilliant. All of a sudden, he's going to use the 120 people who faithfully obeyed his word and prayed and waited. All of a sudden, when he fills them with the spirit, these Galilean people who spoke nothing but their original language for their culture and country are speaking in the native tongues of people from all over the earth. They're speaking Italian all of a sudden. Can you imagine that? I'd kill to do that. I can barely speak English more or less any other language. 
They're speaking Egyptian. They're speaking all of these different languages. I would have loved to have been there in that moment. Now it picks up and says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Do you hear that? Every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound of people speaking in their own native languages, a crowd came together in bewilderment, which I would have done too, because each of them heard their language, their, excuse me, their own language being spoken. It says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Now, before we read the last few verses of what we're talking about this week, I just want to stop there because it just sounds like a bit of, of information, but the implications of what we just read there are massive. When it says, aren't these people Galileans? How is it that I'm hearing them in my Egyptian language? How is it that I'm hearing them in the Italian language? How are they speaking so eloquently and fluidly in my language when, when these are Galileans? Now, here's an interesting fact. I've done my homework on this one. This blessed me the first time I ever learned this. Do you know what the Galileans in all of the, the regions of Judea, do you know what they were most known for? How bad of a dialect they had in their own language. They were the butt of jokes. When it, I was thinking of how to illustrate this to you kindly so that I, I could really drive home this point, and I didn't know of a kind way to do it, so I'm going to do it the mean way. Uh, my wife, <laughs> my wife's from Alabama, like Sticks, Alabama. Like she's, she's close to a big city, but she's outside the city in what I call the Sticks, and I've been there a whole bunch of times, and I love Alabama. There are so many beautiful things about Alabama, uh, beautiful people, wonderful culture, but when people from Alabama in the Sticks area start talking, it's hard for this California boy to understand without an interpretation. You know what I'm saying? Because they are, in other words, like right now, I'm kind of using them as the butt of jokes for, it's easy now because we're in Illinois, but, but like if, if I'm in Illinois or in Alabama, excuse me, and, and, and I would say to my wife, for example, hey babe, uh, on our trip, I forgot deodorant, so I'm going to run to the Walmart and I'm going to go down to Walmart and I'm going to get some deodorant. If, if her dad was to say that, it'd be like, you going down there to Walmart to get you some de- 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 deodorant? Get you, he'd say to get you, not get some. He'd say to get you down there to Walmart. Right? Like it's just, it's different. One time we were in Chipotle with him and he said, can I get me one of them there uh, chicken quesadillas? And my sister-in-law goes, dad, it's quesadilla. He goes, uh-uh, I'm reading it right there. There's two L's and an A. That's quesadilla. Right? Like it's just different. My language isn't any better than theirs. Theirs isn't any better than mine. It's just complete. This was the Galileans. They were the butt of jokes for the ver- listen to me, Forest City, for the very thing that when the Spirit of God comes on the scene, isn't it funny that what the world considered their greatest weakness, the Spirit of God is now using them as a great strength? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? This is just one glimpse. God could have chose anybody from the region of anywhere to be the 120 people in the upper room to have this miraculous moment that's going to give birth to the early church. But he says, okay, I love that God's a God of irony. I've seen so much of his irony in my life. I just absolutely love it. He says, give me the people with the worst diet. Give me the people who have grown up being made fun of because of how poor their speech abilities are. And I'm actually going to, in an instant, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, make them multilingual, eloquent people that literally declare the wonders of God to the first and the beginning of the church. And here's why I get so excited about that. Because again, God does not, the Bible tells us, show favoritism. 
He could have picked the most eloquent people from like, say, say the great philosophers of Greece that were Christ followers that were there. He could have said, give me one of those great orders to get up and declare the wonders of God to everyone. But he chooses the least likely people. I've told you this before, um, but I'm dyslexic. And so growing up academically, school was for the most part of my life, just a place of shame. It was nobody's fault. I had wonderful teachers. Nobody was uh, really making fun of me. I had a few people make fun of me, but when it, especially in elementary school, it came time to read. I was sweating bullets, man, because I was scared to death because I couldn't really read. And when they were going to call on me because they would just go up and down the rows and we would all read a different sentence or paragraph, I was scared to death. Oftentimes I would do something to get in trouble so that I would get kicked out and sent out before I had to read. It wasn't because I was a bad kid. It was because I was full of shame because I was so academically challenged. School was incredibly hard for me. Fast forward to my senior year of high school, and I don't actually get a diploma at graduation because I didn't graduate. They let me walk the line, but there was no diploma in my booklet because I had to go to summer school. You know, you know what put me over the edge of flunking out of my senior year? I flunked family meals and world foods. Do you know how hard you have to work to flunk a class like that? And I'm a foodie. I should have got an A. This is how much school was a struggle for me academically. So I went to summer school, barely got my diploma. Then I go to college. I don't even last a full two years before I finally drop out because I'm wasting my parents and I'm wasting my own money on college and I'm doing horrible. If you were to go to my office in my house for a city, you would not unfortunately find a seminary degree that I probably should have up on my wall. As a preacher of the gospel, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I love the irony of God. This is why every time I get up here, I'm so excited. It is such a privilege for someone with my IQ to let God empower me through his spirit to do something that the world... Isn't he dyslexic? Isn't, aren't those Galileans that are speaking perfect language and other... Like, do you see what I'm saying? It, it makes me think of of Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 when he says this. He goes, do you remember when you were called? Do you remember when Christ found you and saved you? Just go back to that moment. He goes, and, and this is my story, and I think it's a lot of our stories. He goes, not many of you were noble at birth when you were called. You, you didn't come from some great line of nobility with privilege. He goes, do you remember when you were called? He goes, not many of you, and I quote, he says, were wise by the standards of the world, to which I go, I remember that, Paul, that, that's completely me. How is it possible that I get the honor and privilege week in and week out all over the country to stand up on stages like these, get to look at my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you guys trust me with the preaching of the gospel? Do you understand what a beautiful thing that is, especially when you know that I am the least qualified person on planet Earth technically to be up here, and yet I have for two and a half decades seen fruit, so much fruit coming from every time I get up here to preach the gospel. I see people saved. I see people redeemed. I see people encouraged. I hear stories every week from people, sometimes right after church. Hey, Chad, when you said this thing, that was so beautiful. And I needed to hear that at the exact moment. And it just stirs my heart so much because I'm like, I know I don't qualify to be up here technically. I know I'm not God's best pick or guy to be up. Do you remember, we, we forget, the Apostle Paul was not a good preacher. Do you know that? He wrote in one book, he says, do you remember when I came to you, I did not come to you with wise or eloquent speech? He goes, but I came to you with the demonstration of what? The Spirit's power. 
And I say all of this, and I'm going off notes here. This was supposed to just be a quick point, but I'm preaching on this one today because I felt it in the first service. So if you guys will allow me to go off script a little bit, this is what I think the Spirit of God wants to drive home today. You qualify to be used powerfully by the Spirit of God to do beautiful things for the kingdom of God that are going to help other people. And here's what I've learned about helping other people. When you selflessly choose to be available to help other people, it brings some of the greatest, most purest form of joy your heart will ever experience. More than stuff you can buy, more than trips and vacations you can take, more than amenities you can have, more than that new car is going to do anything for you. None of those things are necessarily bad. If you got a new car this year, praise God. But just know this, there is no greater joy than waking up one day and letting God give you a divine appointment to be his hands feet to somebody else on planet earth. There is nothing that does the heart better than when you selflessly serve someone else for the glory of Jesus and for the help and hope of them. It is a beautiful thing. And I want us to see that the spirit of God, the possibilities are endless. And here's the only qualification. You ready for this? I'm going to read it to you from a plaque. I grew up going to my dad's office It was on my way home from school. I would pass my dad's office and I would stop at my dad's office and always ask him for money so I could buy some food from a vending machine after school. Didn't happen very often, but behind my dad in his office was this plaque. And so I would sit there facing him, trying to swindle him out of money. And for years straight, day after day, I would just, I couldn't read it that well, (laughs) dyslexia, but I would read this plaque and I had no clue as a kid, kind of the context and the the implications of what it meant. But I was like, why, what's written on here so important that my dad would have it as the centerpiece behind his desk in his office. And it simply says this, God never asks about our ability or our inability, but about our availability. So I know this plaque is 1980s and it's no one would want to hang it in their home. But can I tell you, this will never not be hung up in my office at my home to remind me that I am qualified and that the spirit of God can make up for everything that Chad Brugman lacks. The spirit of God can compensate for my lower IQ. Do I listen? Let me make a balancing statement because some of you in here are brilliant. That's one of the gifts God gave you. I'm not up here saying you want to be used by the spirit of God. Then we're all going to get dumber for his glory. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear me say that. I'm just testifying to you. If you're brilliant in here and one of your strengths from the womb has been your IQ, that is a tip off from God that that's how he wants to leverage some of the beauty he gave you to be used for. So if you're a professor in here or you're a teacher in here and math and science and all of those crazy things that I don't understand come easy to you, that's a sign that God's going to use that as a means to a greater end, which is for you to teach for the glory of God. You understand that? And that you qualify. So don't hear me say, become dumb. So God has an opportunity because he likes irony. This is me simply testifying that God is so unconcerned with your skill set. The world loves your skill set. You'll get more followers. You'll get more applause. You'll get more popularity. You'll get more people encouraging you and praising you if you bring something really cool to the human table. But can I just remind you, heaven does not look over in joy with people that are famous. Because only one was created truly for fame, and it's Jesus Christ. So heaven's not looking over going, look at how big the Taylor Swift concerts are right now. That is so, how can we do it? There's kind of a bigger concert in heaven right now than that. No, No hate on Taylor Swift. 
Uh, no hate on that. I'm just saying, when, when heaven looks over at Elon Musk and those guys, I cannot believe the amount of, of wealth they've amassed. That is just incredible and unbelievable. They are unimpressed. Do you want to know what the great cloud of witnesses hangs their heads over? You want to know what captures the attention of heaven? Faithfulness. That's it. And all of us in this room have complete qualifications to be faithful. For anything you've walked through, for anything you've experienced, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what side of the tracks you came here from today, every one of us has the choice to be faithful to Jesus in our walk with Jesus. And he's so into faithfulness that he gives us his Holy Spirit to put that fruit on the inside. Do you know one of the the fruits mentioned? One of the proofs of the Spirit of God in us? Faithfulness. You'll be faithful. God's not looking for ability, y'all. Don't sell yourself short. God's looking for availability. That's what these Galileans in the upper room had. Availability. It was this beautiful thing, and God's like, I'll use the least of these. I'll use people that shock the world. All I'm looking for is people that when I give them a word, they obey it. Go and pray and wait. And they had enough faithfulness, not ability, again, but a joke's, not abilities. They had enough faithfulness to not just pray and wait for a day. That would be hard for me if I'm being honest. You're more spiritual than me, I'm sure. But to pray a whole day and wait a whole day, I'm definitely out day two. I'm like, I got to go eat, man. I got to go do something. I got to get out of this place. I love y'all, but this is getting weird. Day two goes by. Day three goes by. Day four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then it happens on Day 10, do you see what the Spirit of God does with some people who just faithfully made themselves available? Don't ever play small, y'all, because you don't have the pedigree that some other people in your world do. Don't ever play small because you don't make the certain amount of money that other people do. Don't ever play small because, like me, you don't have any plaques on the wall. You don't have a college education. Maybe, like me, you barely graduated or didn't graduate high school at all. Don't you dare play small. God is notoriously in the business of taking anybody who is available and pouring his spirit on, on them to be ministers of his gospel for the glory of God. Anywhere you go, I've made my point. No, you don't have, I didn't mean to evoke a clap. You guys are kind though. That wasn't what I was trying to do. You guys are very kind though. So can I just do this real quick to just drive home one point and then we'll wrap this thing up. I want to actually, to show us the beauty of Pentecost, I want to see how it's playing out in the whole story. So I want to go to the Old Testament for a minute. I want to go all the way back to Genesis and I want to read this famous story. I'll read it real fast from what's called the Tower of Babel. And it says this, now the whole world had one language and what? Common speech. It's kind of saying what Acts said. They're all together in one place. There was unity. Now, we're going to see real quick, this unity wasn't founded on good things, but the principles of unity work for good and evil. You understand that, right? It says, now they had one language and common speech. People moved eastward and they... And they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And then here's why. Let, Let me stop before we read their motive. God could care less that they were building a tower to the heavens. In fact, I would say God is the author of innovation. Would you not agree? When we progress, when we evolve... When we advance, when there's greater and greater innovation that makes life better and easy, 
easier to live for people around the globe, when we create and innovate and engineer those things, it's to the glory of God. God, it sounds like, is threatened by them. Like he has a problem with this big tower they're building. It has nothing to do with the tower. It has everything, listen to this, to do with the motive. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Here's the motive, ready? So that we may what? Make a name for who? Ourselves. This is the exact antithesis. This is the exact opposite of what's happening in the book of Acts chapter two, so that we make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. In other words, we gotta get ours. We gotta build ours. We gotta secure our plot of land so nobody else can come and get it. The problem is this isn't how the kingdom of God works. But the Lord came down to the city and the tower the people were building, and the Lord said this, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing, this is actually a compliment from God. It sounds like he's nervous or threatened, but you know from all of scripture, we do not serve a God that's threatened by anyone he created. You understand that, right? Can we agree? God is not threatened by anyone in creation. It sounds like that, but he's actually given them a compliment. When people are unified, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and do what? Confuse their language so they will not understand each other. God is not threatened by the tower. He knows that this motive is going to not advance his story, but push back on it. We weren't created to make names for ourselves. We weren't created to build our own kingdoms. And what happens when we start doing that? Well, he confuses their language. So the Lord scattered them. He scatters them and confuses them from all over the earth. They stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the what? The language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And the reason I wanted to show you this particular part of scripture, because you're like, what's this have to do with Pentecost? What happens in Pentecost with language? Confusion is no longer. Order is restored. We are getting a, a, a beautiful taste, this beautiful taste from this miracle that through Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, everything is being reconciled. In Genesis 11, it was all about self-preservation. The same is true today. When self-preservation is the ultimate theme of your life, you will feel confusion from God, not blessing and help. In Acts 2, it's not about self-preservation, what they're building. Now it's about God exaltation. God was no longer confusing language. He was making language plain again, and it was to do what? Declare the wonders of God. It wasn't about them. In Genesis 11, they were scattered in what? Confusion. In Acts chapter 2, they're scattered for what? Mission. In Genesis 11, they're building towers for the glory of their own what? Name. In Acts 2, they're not building towers for their own name. Do you know what they're doing? They're building bridges for the glory of God. We serve a God who says, though, I'll topple towers that are built for self-preservation because I'm in the business of building bridges for one nation to come back to the other nation to come back to the other nation that all these people, red, yellow, black, white, everyone precious in his sight would come back together and although we don't speak a verbal common language, we would speak the same language of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience with each other, goodness to each other, kindness to each other, gentleness to each other, faithfulness for each other, self-control for each other, right? 
I said, where the spirit of Pentecost is, high towers get tumbled and bridges get built. I need to wrap this baby up and land this plane. There's so much more imagery from the Old Testament. I had in my notes, but I don't have time. Go back and study it. If you study Exodus 3, where Moses gets sent out into the desert of obscurity and he becomes a sheep herder. And there's that moment we all learned in Sunday school where the bush catches fire, the Santa bush, but it's not consumed. And God says, what, Moses, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. It's like fire was resting there to do what? To empower Moses for his mission. To take this stutterer, this deeply insecure Jewish stutterer who's going to end up becoming the greatest abolitionist in the history of the world, bringing a f- freedom to a group of slaves that had been in bondage for 430 years. This is what the power of the Spirit can do. And I know what y'all are thinking. Well, I, I, I don't, can't be Moses. I can't do that for a million people. You're not supposed to. There's two some billion carriers of the Spirit of God on planet. There's two point some billion Christians on planet Earth. We don't need to do the big things we read about, the awesome things happening in, in, in the Bible. Can you free yourself up? We, just do, this is math. We don't have to be spiritual here. This is simple math. If there's two billion some Christians on planet Earth, what if, and I'm going to use a cheesy 90s church term now, but what if we just do the each one reach one? What if this year our prayer at Forest City was, God, give each of us one person whose life will forever be eternally changed because of the role you allowed me by your spirit to play in their life. We overcomplicate it. We read these great miracles and acts, and because we don't see that kind of supernatural phenomenon all the time happening in our lives, we start to forget that, guess what? And and some of you are going to think I'm being dramatic here, but I stand by this statement. You have the opportunity to wake up every day and with the spirit of Pentecost on the inside of you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you have an opportunity to wake up every day and be a miracle for at least one person in your world. And that should be enough. We overburden ourselves. We make it hard on ourselves. God never intended his ministry and his work to be so hard and difficult and destructive. He just was working under the assumption we would all just do our part. And you have everything you need, listen to me, for life and godliness. You have everything you need right now. I don't care if there's no plaques on the wall. I don't care if you're like me and think your IQ is not good enough. Here's a big one. I don't care if you're still wrestling through some sin patterns that seem to have a hold on you. Look at the people God chose to use in the Bible. We're going to look at that next week as we pick up in Acts chapter 2 and look at the Apostle Peter. It is amazing who God will use, not because they're uh, have earned it or deserved it, but because they're available. They're willing to be faithful. I've been praying for the last couple months, very specifically every day. I prayed it again this morning in my hotel room. God, I want this. I want the gift of the spirit. I want the gift of encouragement. And I'm not talking about on platforms with microphones. I hope to be an encouragement there too. But God, I've been praying every day for the last two months. Would you give me today, would you help me recognize your divine appointments that you put in front of me? Would you help me to see the people that I could most be your vessel for, that I could most be a blessing to and minister today to? And then give me the grace to recognize it and give me the kindness to stop and be patient to do it. Not to be in too big of a hurry. 
because I got to do this and I'm moving and shaking here and I got these things in the works here and I just got so much going on. We should never have too much going on to stop and be Jesus with skin onto someone. You understand that? Nothing has given me more joy as I chart my last two months. Nothing has given me more joy than God constantly answering that prayer. If there's one prayer you, you, you want to wonder if God will answer, he loves to answer that prayer. God, use me. I'm available. God, put some divine appointments in my path this week. Why? Of course God's going to answer that. It's a win-win. Win. It's a triple win. Somebody practically gets blessed and helped by you. You get tons of joy from being used by God. There's nothing greater on earth than when he uses you for his glory. And God gets all the glory in the process. To him be the glory. It's a win-win-win. God answers win-win-win prayers because he's a perfect steward. And I want that for every single one of us. So I was just thinking, what if this week, to end on a practical note, what if this week, and you're an adult, so you don't have to do this, but I'm going to invite you to do this with me. What if no matter what you prayed this week, whether you pray five minutes or you're one of those great, amazing humans that pray like five hours. Teach me your ways, please, by the way. What if every day we decided as a church this week, just for one week, just just beta test it, to wake up in the morning and say, God, I am praying and believing for a divine appointment today. Help me to recognize it and then help me to walk in it faithfully. God will answer that. I was at the gym in Denver last week visiting our parents in Colorado. And when I'm at the gym, I'm a bit selfish, if I'm honest. I put the headphones on and I keep my head down, sometimes a hood on. And I'm like, don't talk to me. I'm not here to talk to people. I'm not here to do ministry. I'm here to burn calories, y'all. I'm here to work that cheesecake off from last night. Those donuts, right? Like, that's what I'm here to do. But I ran into some old friends I hadn't seen for a while, and I knew some of their backstory recently. They had been really burned and hurt by a particular local church in their area of town. Um, I didn't know more than that because I didn't even hardly know the church, but I, I knew that they had faithfully been serving there, not on paid staff, volunteering for 25 years, giving their life to it, raised their kids through that church. You know how that is, right? And then there was just something that happened. I don't even know what it is. Good, because I don't need to know. But, but it was a deal breaker. And they eventually, after 25 years, had to leave the church. And this was real recent. And it devastated them because they had given, like many of you, poured out their lives for the growth and the beauty of this local church. And, and I just, we, we were just small talking and having fun. And then, then that prayer was being answered. I felt the spirit of God just, just nudging my heart like, you have to bring that up. And I'm like, I don't want to bring it. It's not my place to bring it up. It's weird. It's awkward. I hate church hurt. And it's the spirit of God like, no, 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 bring it up. And I just started talking to them and thanking them. I didn't bring up the hurt. I didn't try and get information that was none of my business. I simply started thanking them for their 25 years of faithful service to one local church. I said, do you know how rare that is? Do you know that I saw you? Because we used to be in a life group together. I go, do you know how I saw you fight for that place? Do you know how I saw you give everything that for that place when that place was, uh, in, in a lot of ways, giving you nothing back? And I, I, I had the same talk with them I just had with you. I started talking about how heaven is enamored with faithfulness. When the world's enamored with everything other than faithfulness, heaven gets your attention when you are faithful. And I said to my friends, I said, do you, I just want to say this to you in the name of Jesus. You have heaven's attention right now. 
I know it's hard to go to a new church. I know it's vulnerable and it feels weird. But in this season, God is going to send you into this new season with, with the same passion you had before because of your faithfulness. God is not done using you. It feels like that for you right now. God is not done. He's just getting started in your life because he never wastes somebody who's available. He never wastes somebody who's faithful. And that is you guys. This guy's about four or some inches taller than me and he's buffed out in the gym and he's looking down on me. And as I'm talking, just trying to obey the voice of God with this divine appointment, I just see big boy just start crying. Just tears, real subtle tears coming down his face. And I, I didn't, I just was, was kind to him. And, I, I, and I'm sitting there in my heart going, spirit of God's here. That Pentecostal spirit is here right now. We got a big muscle bound grown man in the gym, not worried about his pride, not worried about his ego. He's letting tears flow from his eyes as another human to another human got to minister to him when he most needed it. He would write me later a text message just thanking me. He goes, you do not know the wind that put in my sails. You do not know how badly I needed to hear that. And while it blessed him, here's what I want you to hear. While it blessed him and his wife so much, I think it blessed me more being God, you used me. That wasn't hard. I didn't need any degrees for that. I didn't need any qualifications for that. You just, I just asked that morning and you used me. Think if we as a church started getting the habit of being like that in our prayers, the kingdom of God would start to come alive. And there are so many beautiful things that happen when you start to walk in what the kingdom's supposed to look like. And we all can have this. And when that happens, the spirit starts doing miracles like we're going to see in Acts. Starts doing exceedingly and abundantly more than you even planned on. It's beautiful. So I guess our prayer wrapping up. Shut up, Chad, and get them out of here. It's 4th of July. Let them go party. I hear, I hear you. I'm just praying right now in the name of Jesus that we would be a church that is available and faithful. That that would be what we fixate on. That everyone in here who has counted yourself out, yeah, you showed up to church today, but maybe you're kind of on the outskirts. You're kind of sitting in a place where you're like, man, I'm not even sure I should be here. I definitely know I don't deserve to be here. God brought you here to say, listen to me, sir. Listen to me, ma'am. You qualify. Quit playing small. You qualify. All I need you is to wake up available. And then be faithful with that availability. And the spirit of God will blow your mind over time with how Jesus uses you in this lifetime. And you deserve to live that kind of life. So Jesus, as we walk out of these doors, I thank you for every single person, not only in this room, but whoever will be listening to this later online. And God, I pray now with every ounce of faith I have that you would bless every single person in this room that you would keep them in the grip of your grace, that you would cause your face right now to shine upon all of us. God, be radically gracious to every single person in this room. And I pray that all of us would walk out of here with the peace that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and guards our minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus, all of this time of worship has been for you. So it's in your name we pray and everyone said. I love you guys so much. Please eat all the donuts on the way out. See you next week. Happy 4th.